anybody there? Oh, hi. Hi, Jaime. ¿Cómo estás? Bien, gracias. ¿Cómo estás tú? Muy bien. Mucho gusto. Mucho gusto. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. You sound amazing. You sound great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, Where are you, Jaime? ¿Dónde estás? Estoy en Wyoming. En Wyoming. Uh -huh, wow. Uh -huh. Where are you? ¿Dónde estás? Toronto. En oh, Toronto. my goodness. Yeah, ¿Hasta allá? Hasta allá. <laughs> <laughs> lejos, lejos de todo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, okay. Vamos, vamos a empezar. Are you good? Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, Laurie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm really excited to chat. And as we were just getting to know each other, you are all the way in Canada. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Thank you so much, Jaime. Thanks for the invite. This is, this, is, uh, this is so exciting for me because I'm curious to know how one gets to Canada, right? And, <laughs> how do you and... end up in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. Let's start there. To... Um, well, actually, my wife is from Canada, so that's okay. kind of why we ended up there. But it's been, um, yeah, it's been kind of like a crazy, crazy journey to get me mm. here because um, I moved to Canada when I was 19. Oh, wow. To study acting. We'll get into it afterwards. Oh. And I met my wife there, but we were just friends. We weren't together. And then I moved to Spain and I studied theater in Spain afterwards. Mm. And then my now wife came to Spain because she wanted to learn Spanish and things. And there we met each other again. And then we fell madly in love. And then we were happy in Spain and whatever. But then they didn't renew her papers to oh. work and live there. Yeah. So we're like, okay. And Canada is not a bad place to go, so we ended up in, in <laughs> Toronto like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's but beautiful. I like it here. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. But I think it it might take Spain to kind of get you into that uh into <laughs> into that sort of like romantic elevated state, um, you know, for, exactly. for good things to happen. Um yeah. well that's that's a beautiful story, it sounds like. So uh to begin with, you're uh you're Mexican, un un fellow un fellow compadre un fellow mexicano un okay. compadre mexicano muy bien compatriota yeah yeah I'm from Mexico City originally I was born okay. and grew up mostly in Mexico City to a Brazilian father that's why my name is a bit strange for oh, the Hispanic okay. world okay. Lauri no one is called Lauri I think probably in the world <laughs> <very few Lauris. laughs> yeah people always think I'm a woman because of the name Lori so oh, I anyways see. but no yeah but it's not the case um, so my father is from Brazil and my mother is from Mexico, mm. Mexico City. So I grew up mostly in Mexico City with two or three years that I lived in Havana, Cuba. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. So it yeah, seems like my you've, father moved to Cuba. Yeah. You've, you've been kind of in different places. Do you feel like they have been a part of you culturally? Like they've helped you evolve culturally? How would For you sure. describe that uh, cultural blend that um, that is you? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, in many ways, like, it's interesting because I've thought a lot about it. Like, obviously, I'm like, I'm a foreigner everywhere now. Like, <laughs> even in Mexico, now that I go to Mexico, people are like, oh, you speak really good Spanish. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, actually, I do. Thank you. <laughs> it's the only language I speak well, but thank yeah. you. So even in Mexico, people think I'm a foreigner now. So, I mean, that's that's kind of like who I've always been. And I mm -hmm. think partly because my name too, like my mom wanted to call me Diego and I kind of wish she had called me Diego because mm. then it would be a lot easier for my Hispanic identity to be yeah. there. But yeah. yeah. Because it, it's so, it's such a simple thing. It may not seem like a big deal, but something like a first name. Oh yeah. It can either put you at a distance or it immediately just makes you an other. Um, exactly. You know? Yeah. And even something like it, mine's not as random, you know, but it's Jaime, 
but I here mean, in Wyoming, yeah. it's I've always been Jamie. So, so Jamie, it's always yeah, yeah, like yeah. A different and, person. Yeah, you you feel like you yeah you have a different personality. But oh, um, for you growing up in in Mexico then and and having a a father from Brazil, yeah. can you describe a little bit what growing up was like in that environment in a multicultural place back in the eighties? Back in the eighties, yeah, I was born in nineteen eighty four. So I mean, it was it, it was very strange because in Mexico, I mean, well, you probably know it, Jaime. It's now I think it's a bit different. It's more multicultural, but Mexico City back then was like a very closed off place, right? Mm -hmm. Like now, no, now I I went to Mexico City like three months ago, and it's crazy. It's like full of people from everywhere, and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's great. But back in the eighties. I think because the PRI was in power, the political party that was in power, it was really close to it. Was kind of like a dictatorshipish, yeah. almost type of isolationist, thing. you know. Yeah, uh, in, completely. in a lot of respects. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when the free trade agreement happened in the nineties, ninety four. It was crazy. We started getting products from the U.S. and like Jolly yeah. Ranchers and things. Yeah. Like, and I still have a memory of like <laughs> opening up and be like, "Wow, these Jolly Ranchers are amazing." <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. Uh, I was I was part of that generation, so I have these really interesting memories. I mean, I come from a family of immigrants, you know, grandparents, right. and, you know, kind of back and forth uh, to the U.S. and back. And that moment, mid '90s, was so. It was like uh, uh, the gates of of heaven opening up, and then you yeah. you got to go into the candy store in yeah. in many cultural ways, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, do you think that influenced you a lot to? to yearn for that kind of culture or did, how did you feel about that? How did you respond? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. As I said before, I grew up in a very multicultural background because I always went to international schools as well as a kid. Mm. So like okay. I always grew up in a multicultural background. So it was interesting for me, culture. I think it gave me a universal idea of, of, of what humans are. Mm. Like it, it allowed me not to judge the other just by, wherever they're from, for example, something that for me was so simple and I discovered it was actually, it's yeah. one of the big problems of the 21st century, but culturally, yeah, like it shaped me completely in, in the idea of like, who am I as a person? Who am I as a writer? Like all of these things are completely shaped by the idea of, of not being from an actual place or, or not belonging better. It's a better word, not belonging to an actual place. Right. It made me belong in, in every, in every way. Yeah. And it was yeah. interesting too, because like it made me see that who like the place where I'm from, literally it's my apartment mm -hmm. and it can be anywhere. It can be in Spain, it can be in Canada. And like my life, what we would call home, it's like my books, my partner, my dogs, but that is kind of like my country, let's say. And I, I still feel very Mexican in some respects, yeah. right? Like yeah. food, for example, like uh -huh. that, that's where like, I, I feel a real Mexican likes Mexican food and I, I love Mexican. <laughs> I eat chips with salsa, right? So like yeah. with, with Valentina sauce. So if you do that, you're Mexican. If you eat eggs with spice, you're Mexican. You're right? good to so, go. Yeah. Yeah. You're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not a big tequila drinker, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm getting older now, so I get sleepy when I, when I do tequila now it's, it's yeah, kind I, of a, yeah, it's a big task. So yeah. <laughs> Speaking of your writing and and performance, yeah. I love that that you're doing performance too because I could we could talk about that. You know, being a theater person myself, I'd love to chat right. with you about that maybe later. But right, specifically right, right. for writing, how does that come into your life, and how do you how do you feel like you're? Uh, are you at the stage where you want to be now in terms of of identifying as a writer? As a writer, yeah, yeah, yeah certainly I am now. Like I've published 
two novels in Spain. Uh, my first novel was published then in the US as well, and in English as well, and it's getting published this year in Italy as well. So that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. And my second novel was published in Spain two years ago. So I certainly feel now that I'm more comfortable with the concept of writing, like writing as a part of my life, as a part of my identity, as part of of who I am. I actually don't do, I used to do a lot of theater, but I don't do theater anymore. I just, mm. sadly enough, now I just focus on, on my writing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it came to be, it was very natural for me. Actually, I, I always say I was a writer before knowing I was a writer because mm -hmm. I always wrote a lot, mm -hmm. but I kind of like, I didn't think that it was something you could do. Like, I don't know, as an artist, I felt it was kind <laughs> yeah. of like isolating. Um, I grew up in a very artistic background because my mom is a ballet dancer. Well, oh. now she's a ballet teacher. She's older now, but um, okay. she was a ballet dancer. So being an artist or doing something related with the arts was always kind of like, it was always there. It was never a choice for me. It was like, <laughs> it's what you do, right? Like you live, you do art, and that's kind of what you what right. you do. And yeah, and my parents met in the Soviet Union. It's a very oh, goodness. crazy story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because my dad was a communist back in the day, and there was a military dictatorship in Brazil in the in the sixties and seventies and the eighties too. We went from sixty four to eighty five, the military dictatorship. So they wanted to kill my dad because he was a communist oh and was involved goodness. in student movements and things. So he had to flee Brazil, um, and he went to Argentina, and then he went to France, and then he went to the Soviet Union. And that's where my parents met up, and and they became. They became a couple and then they had me in Mexico City and then we moved to Cuba <laughs> for a couple of years. It's, it's a crazy story. And then my parents got divorced and then I, we moved back, my mom and I, to Mexico City. So in Mexico City, all that to say that in Mexico City, in my, our apartment, my mom set up a ballet classroom. So like the arts were always there, right? <laughs> so like basically I didn't have a living room. I had a ballet classroom. So, <laughs> so the arts were there. So it was kind of natural. I mean they didn't read all that much. My parents, like they read, they, they read and read good things and whatnot, but not as much. But for me, books were always kind of like another home. I always liked mm. reading since I was a kid. I mean, yeah. I like sports and other things too, but I really like reading. So it came naturally. So then when I started doing theater in the beginning, what I used to do, I wanted to be an actor originally. And what I used to do was write the biographies mm. of the characters, right? <laughs> so like that was yeah. already an exercise in writing. Like I would write all these crazy biographies and and yeah, and then when I directed plays, I would write kind of like all the movements, everything that the characters did. So basically there were novels without being called novels because I didn't create the characters, but they were novels. And then I started writing, when I moved to Canada, I started writing more seriously, partly because of the theatrical context here yeah. that um, I didn't enjoy it all that much. Like, I mean, the people were great, but you need a lot of money to make theater in Canada, mm. very expensive. And that was kind of like... Um, yeah, that was kind of a decision that I didn't want to be calling people asking for money all mm. the time. And I didn't have that stamina to do that. So I started kind of writing more seriously after that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So you've you've gone through most of your, your trajectory here from, from childhood to adulthood. That was very concise. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was incredible. So <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. That puts us in in this moment here where I kind of wanted to talk about how your literary journey has been in, in Canada and what has led you to work with Labyrinth Press. If we yeah. could talk a little bit about that project and, and just some details to, to get us started. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Canada is an interesting place to be in as a writer because it's very cold. <laughs> so basically six months of the year, you can write with no distractions. <laughs> 
<laughs> because it's so cold. Like it's it's literally it's such a cold place that that I mean people go out and things, but I still find it very cold <laughs> to be like in minus twenty, like walking yeah, around. People yeah. do it here, and it's 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 crazy. So it's a, it's a great place to write, and also there's a lot of support from the government, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of government support, so it's it's easier to make a living from writing than it would be in other places. Actually, mm-hmm. Mexico has a good support system from the government too, but. I feel in Canada, the governments give a lot of money to, mm. to, to arts in general. So that, that is kind of like a good thing. So I started writing here more disciplined in a way, partly because of the weather and partly just because of the way you have to do it. If you want to write novels, maybe short stories and poetry are a different thing, but I wanted to write novels. I was attracted to the genre. I always read a lot of novels. And mm. so I started writing in that way. And with Laberinto Press, I actually I don't remember how we met with Luciana, who's the editor mm-hmm. of Laberinto Press, really great, great editor. Um, but there was a, an anthology that she was working on, on the intersection between visual arts and literature. Mm. And she invited me to participate in that. And I participated in that. I wrote a short story about... Um, kind of like a fake travelogue of a 15th century character, 16th century character that goes to Italy with a painting, et cetera. It's a bit confused in the history of mm-hmm. tomatoes, the intersection of like <laughs> Mexican tomatoes that go, how they went to Europe and kind of like a weird, weird travelogue, fake travelogue in the end, because it was a short story. Um, and then, yeah, we got along really well. Like she's a fantastic person. And actually my third novel that's getting published this year in Spain is going to be published here with Laberinto Press mm. in 2024 as well. So, so yeah, it's a great project. I feel it's it's a project that's trying to get more Hispanic authors and international authors mm-hmm. into Canada, because in some ways, and I, I feel I agree with with um, with the principle of Laberinto. I think Canada is a bit. It's funny because it's a very multicultural place, but it's a bit closed off to writing in other languages, mm. right? Like it's. If you write in English, there's a lot of possibilities, even if you're from different backgrounds. But if you write in another language, and I mostly write in Spanish, or basically only write in Spanish, mm-hmm. it's a bit harder to get into the publishing industry here. So what Laberinto is trying to do is kind of like build a bridge between mm-hmm. non-English communities within Canada. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a service that helps not just folks in Canada, but here in the U.S., having a place like Laberinto Press to bring out a lot of this work, even myself and and I'm I'm not um too knowledgeable in in Latin American or or literature in Spanish that right. I feel like this is just a great opportunity for people like me to get uh to become more acquainted with right. with great writers like you and people who are creating contemporary work that is just as good as something that would be written in in English, you know, right. as it's it's its main, you know, language. So can you tell me a little bit a little bit about the novel that you're that you're working on or the one that's coming out in in 24? Yeah, the one that's coming out here in Laberinto Press in Spain it's coming out before. It's a it's a story it's it's actually interesting because it's my first novel that doesn't take place in Mexico City. Mm. So I feel like it's funny because we were talking about belonging and I always say like, "Oh, I'm no, I'm very multicultural, international, but still I mostly write about Mexico City. I have like an obsession with that place. Have you been to Mexico City? Kind of? I have, yeah, a couple of times. It's, uh, yeah, what it's, did you think about it? It's madness. Uh, I come from Jalisco, you know, the biggest place oh, we get right. is Guadalajara, you know, and Guadalajara, yeah. more like an offshoot of Guadalajara. So it, it definitely going to Mexico City feels like, um, like you're, uh, it's very difficult to explain. It's just sprawling and <laughs> massive. Crazy. Massive and, yeah. and insane, and you get yeah. a sense of scope that you don't really get anywhere else. 
yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a writer, a Mexican writer that's really funny and really dark. Guillermo Falanelli says it's um it's a branch of hell in Mexico City. <laughs> So, oh, but it's, it's really great. Like, I mean, hell is has to be really fun as well, right? So it's really great. It's a really fun city, but it's kind of like inhabitable. But it's it's an obsession of mine because mm -hmm. it's just such a crazy. Like I feel every story that has happened in the world could take place in Mexico City. Like everything wrong, great. You have heaven, hell, everything together, right? So it's a big city. Yeah. Um, but this is my first book that it doesn't take place in Mexico City. Kind of part of it doesn't take place in Mexico City. It's the story of Two twins, a man and a woman, who split up or they were born in Mexico City and in the earthquake of 1985, there was a huge earthquake in mm -hmm. Mexico City. They split up and some traffickers, human traffickers, stole the girl, her name is Ondine, mm -hmm. from her family because there was a big mess afterwards. Their parents died and everything. They stole her and brought her to the States. She grew up in the States. And the guy, um, Lucas is his name, he grew up with his aunt in Mexico City and whatever. So the, this is all the background. But they meet again in Toronto in 2017 when there was another earthquake in Mexico City mm. that kind of destroyed the city. And they kind of meet after that. And they we discover their story. And it's kind of like a, it's a story about their last 10 years. Like what, what, what I was interested in is how we got to the place where we got pre-COVID, not after COVID, because after COVID, I think history changed a bit. But pre-COVID, what happened in the last 10 years that took us to Trump, that took us to Brexit, that took us to all of this kind of like neo-fascist type of ideologies and like why people responded in that way. You know? So through this story of these two twins, I wanted to do kind of like a recount of the past decade, mm. like the last, now it would be like the last 15 years of, um, yeah, of, of like of the global history, right? Like yeah. of our global history. So it takes place, it's also about a bit about the history of Toronto, the history of Canada a bit and how they lived here, how they both settled here for different reasons. And um, and it was kind of like my way also to to have a certain way of belonging in the city, you know, a way of like mm. understanding the history of the city, always from the point of view of, a, of an immigrant here, because mm -hmm. in the end, my characters are immigrants and what being an immigrant meant here. In a context that's not, it's interesting because they're both not economical migrants, which is, it's an interesting, it's a type of different type of migration that I think happens a lot in Canada, in the States, maybe a bit less. Like mm -hmm. I think in the States, people move there, particularly, certainly from Mexico, because like our governments are so inept that have left people yeah. in desperate situations. Um, but to Canada, like the type of migration in Canada, we have that too, of course, but it's a lot of um, lifestyle kind mm. of migration right it's mm -hmm. to have a better life but not necessarily because they had an economical problem previously or things like that so it's mm -hmm. i wanted to kind of explore that idea what it meant all the cliches the stereotypes of latinos and etc that they have here right. as well right so yeah. i wanted to explore this this kind of like friction or this kind of like yeah the, this tension a bit between different cultures in the city yeah, yeah. It's beautiful because you strike me as somebody who has such an openness. Uh, there's maybe like a, like an optimist in you. Do you yeah. feel like that reflects in the work, especially when talking about an immigrant assimilating? Right. Is that is that a positive experience in the work, or do you feel like that's something that you still have to grapple with in a darker sort of way? Yeah, I do grapple with in a darker sort of way. It's funny because I I do have a sense of optimism in many ways in the way of people, the way we relate, the way the connections that we can meet, like, I mean, like this one right now, like I, I do have a very 
optimist outlook in that way, like personal to person or person to person connections. But I do feel there's this bleakness in the world that kind of like weighs on us. And, and that certainly my work is very reflected or very impregnated kind of by that, mm-hmm. that bleakness. Um, this is by far uh, my third novel, the one it's called Time, Place and Us. By far my most optimistic novel. Mm. It's, it's by far my two previous novels are a lot darker in in many ways, but this one is my most optimistic novel, and I kind of wanted to write a bit like that in that kind of like optimistic mm-hmm. way about the story of these twins that re meet afterwards, and kind of like history gave them the chance to meet again after being split apart. But I I do feel there's a lot of I mean even in Canada there's a lot of racism. Unfortunately, I feel mm. there is a lot of misunderstanding between people. I mean as far as the migrant experience goes, probably Canada is one of the best places in the world. And there's still quite a, a bit of racism, which is crazy for me. Yeah. Like, how is it in other places, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be pretty uh, pretty harrowing for, for some folks, especially those who may not have the tools of language, uh, which I right. think is, is always sort of the biggest barrier. Um, now, this this work, can you tell me a bit about, I mean, this feels like a timely timely work because we are in need of that optimism and we do need some of that energy to come back into the world. Can you tell me about the writing process of it? Maybe how long it took or how you go about putting a work like this together? Yeah. Yeah. It took me like, I usually take around three, four years per book Mm -hmm. with research and everything. And this one took me around three years and it was very difficult to write. It was actually the hardest book that I've written. I mean, I've only written three, but it certainly was the the hardest one to write. Mm -hmm. And at some point I wasn't really understanding why. I was like, what's going on? Why is it not working? Like, why am I having so much trouble writing about Canada? Like, this Mm -hmm. is crazy. I've lived here for 11 years, but somehow I felt like I wasn't allowing myself to write about Canada. And that that taught me a lot of, too, like how I still perceive myself as an immigrant here. Mm -hmm. self-perceived. I mean, People call me Canadian, I have the passport, everything, but I still like, you see that I, I feel like I'm not allowed to say certain, yeah. certain things, right? So you so. felt like maybe you had to gloss over it or you couldn't go deep right. enough because you, you're still a guest. Yeah, right? exactly. In some way. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. some way. And I'm like, no, if I'm from here, like if I'm supposed to be from here and there's this rhetoric that we're all Canadians and things, then I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to talk like I would about Mexico, right? Like I, yeah. I would not sugarcoat Mexico at all to anyone I, because I feel I'm allowed, but here I still feel somehow that I'm like kind of, I guess, a welcome guest in some <laughs> places, but <laughs> a guest, I guess. Right. You know? and, and it's not anything that people do. It's like, I think it's a self-perspective because everyone I meet is really friendly and really, really great. But, but yeah, I feel, I feel there is a bit of a self-censorship um, in that way that I had to overcome. Mm-hmm. So I changed kind of the structure of the book. I begun it at a different place. I think I was kind of like writing, it wasn't a thriller at the beginning, but it was certainly more suspense. Mm. And then I realized it was wrong. Like it was kind of like I needed the twins to meet, like the, the to be clear at the beginning that they re-met and that they mm. were twins and whatever. And kind of that structure changed completely. But it was a an interesting experience in writing. It was certainly difficult. It was, but it yeah. had beautiful moments too. Like when I finished the book, I couldn't believe it. My wife was like, no way you finished it. Because I, I thought at some <laughs> point, like, I'm not going to finish this one. Like it's... I'm going to abandon this one, but no, in the end I finished it and I'm really happy with the way it ended up. And part of it was written um, in Banff. There is this writer, not writers, there's this artist's um, residencies that they do in Banff. Banff is like a town in Alberta in the mountains, beautiful place. Mm. And I, two weeks I spent there in a writer's retreat writing it too, which was really, 
great and a bit insane because I wrote around 50 pages mm. in like two weeks, which was a lot for me. And I was dreaming about the book. It was like this complete immersion <laughs> in the book. I didn't like the experience, actually. I thought it was a bit, you can go a bit crazy. Yeah, wow. yeah. I was like inhabiting that world. I was like writing tons, tons, tons every day from like 9 a.m. to like 9 p.m. nonstop. So I would dream of like the book. The One of the characters has a bookstore in the book. Hmm. And I would dream that I was in the bookstore with a character, like really insane. Like I, it's never happened to me before. I was like, okay, this was a good experience, but I don't think I'm going to repeat it. <laughs> this I was writing in the morning and going uh, out. This is the first yeah. time I've heard of a retreat having an adverse reaction uh, to the writing. <laughs> but it's it's wonderful to see because I I also think that maybe some of us writers need to have a bit of distance from it. You know, at least, a, right. you know, moments of peace from right. that conflict from those because you know maybe you strike me as somebody who feels those things so intensely that if you give yourself a little bit too much time you're just going to get sucked in and it's yeah, it's going to consume completely. you um it's it does consume you yeah i agree yeah 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 like it's it's i i do feel you need a bit of space to to mm -hmm. think about other things and get i mean i think for the writing itself it was for the novel itself it was good that retreat mm -hmm. but for my mental state certainly <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't it, it was yeah it was really and more because there was this massive snow, snowstorm in toronto and mm -hmm. i was in banff and then my wife had to take care of it and i just felt kind of guilty of like not mm -hmm. being oh, yeah taking care of like the household things as well which we we, yeah. we did together so when i came back my dog she used to be really well trained, and when I came back, she wasn't anymore. <laughs> she was so, rebelling. She said, she was "Oh, rebelling. this yeah, is my chance." Rebelling. Yeah, and I think my <laughs> wife didn't discipline her as much as I do. So, like now, now she and I never got her trained again. So, oh, anyways, that writer's retreat was great for the book, but bad for everything else. <laughs> no, it was great, and I met really great friends there. And like, yeah, I have a really good friend, Pasha Mala, who's a writer as well, and. And it was just great because I met him there. He was my, they call him the, what do they call him? Not your supervisor, the uh, I don't, mentor, like a mentor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. a mentor. And he was my mentor there. And he's great. And we became really good friends and shared taste in literature and things. So it did come out with many positive things. Yeah. But it was intense. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend you, if you do it, not to do it as intensely as I, <laughs> as I did it. <laughs> so uh, that's a great thing to hear about community that you yeah. it seems like you've been able to find a creative support group there that um yeah. is is sort of making you go go the distance on some of these works can you tell me a bit about how one goes about developing community for themselves in a place right. where they're maybe maybe not necessarily the immigrant but maybe feel like an other you know what right. does that look like for somebody yeah, I think um, I think a good way. I think because the Hispanic writers community is so small in Canada, it's very easy. Like basically, if they invite you to do an anthology. That's it. You met everyone there because like <laughs> there's like twenty of us or something like. It's growing, but like it's very very small. So and it's very supportive in many ways. So I feel it's very it's a nice kind of like non-competitive community. And and I think Labyrinth that anthology was great because I met many people that way too but it's true that yeah as a writer you do feel kind of isolated right like it's it's an mm -hmm. isolating discipline like you to write you have to be alone i mean i know there's many writing groups but i feel it's more like for the friendship of it than mm -hmm. the actual writing for me anyways for me to write i need to be alone and concentrated and focused and in silence and whatever so 
So it was a bit hard in the beginning of finding a community. I'm, I'm also like not, it's funny because I, I, when I talk to people, I'm not really shy. I'm not a shy person at all, but I'm a deep introvert. Like for me to go out to a party or something like that, it takes a lot. Like it's, yeah, I usually, yeah. I'm alone in a room and I'm happy that way. I guess because <laughs> I, I grew up that way. Like my mom was teaching ballet and I was in a room alone reading books. So like- I, So you're I, an only child like too, right? I'm an only, well, I have a half sister. Oh, okay. Which I consider my full sister. It's like, she's my sister, but we didn't grow up together. We mm -hmm. Like she grew up in Cuba with my dad and I grew up in Mexico City with my mom. So, mm -hmm. so in my, yeah, in my experience, let's say in my everyday experience, I was, I was alone. So for me, it was actually harder than for some people who just through social media or whatever, meet other people. Cause I, I just wouldn't, it's not in my nature to do that. Yeah. So it's been nice to like meet other Hispanic writers here and feel a sense of community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, it, it's been nice to meet non-Hispanic writers as well in the sense that I feel when you're an immigrant and um, I don't know if that's, that's your experience at all, Jaime, so I don't want to generalize, but I feel you can get circled in small groups as well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's good to meet people beyond like our, our sphere. Right? right. So, right. So in that sense, that Banff program, for example, was fantastic. So I met mm -hmm. a lot of, I was the only non-English speaking writer in the program. So, oh, wow. so it was, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, I, I was going to ask you, um, the challenges of seeing your work come to life in another language, uh, right. as you mentioned, you were writing in Spanish and to shepherd this along, obviously with, with great collaborators, like the folks at Labyrinth Press, can right. you describe that process, you know, uh, editorially, what happens when you right. have to go from Spanish to English, or maybe if we can point to the piece that you had in Beyond the Gallery, which was the anthology, right? Right, 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 yeah. As an example there, what was that editorial process like to go from Spanish to English? Yeah, well, I have the luck that my spouse, my wife, is a translator of my books, so it oh. makes things a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's the one who's translating my last novel, and she translated my previous novel, my first novel, sorry, and like, so... So that process is a lot easier because we we share everything. So like mm -hmm. we communicate and, but but it is difficult. And it is also difficult what's happened to me that I mostly publish in Spain. So it's kind of like you're publishing in, an, in another world. Things are happening to your book, but like in you don't connect it to the city you live in and whatever. It's all yeah. through the internet that I see things or I go usually to, and I'm going to go in September now when it gets published in Spain, I go to present the book and the book launch and whatever. And it's like two weeks. So for two weeks, you live kind of like what it would be to be if you were writing in the place that you were <laughs> publishing the book. But the experience here has been different. And with Laberinto Press, the process was simpler in that way because my wife translated the story. And then we did the edits according to that. And the way we're going to do the third book as well. Um, so we're going to translate the book and then we're going to do the edits and then retranslate whatever needs to be translated. But it adds an extra step for sure. Mm. But I do feel like some people ask me sometimes, like, why don't you just write in English? It's like, I don't know. I feel like Spanish is, is the language I, it's a, kind of like an act of resistance as well. But <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I like the ñ, I like the, 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 the letter ñ, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like. Well, it feels, yeah. it, it feels like, like more of an extension of your soul rather than a full translation right. or something. And yeah, I right. mean, that makes perfect sense. Why would you take. Add a, why would you add another step when you right. can do it in one, you know? Exactly. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know how I would write in English. Like 
I mean, I can write an email in English, but they, they're usually bad. <laughs> so I don't know how I would write in English. Well, you, but Your yeah. emails seem pretty okay. I, I have to say they <laughs> seem pretty you. good. And, and there's no doubt that you could probably do it better than, than most folks. But um, in terms of that, that relationship of working with someone who knows you so intimately, like your partner, right? How, <laughs> what kind of learning experiences are there to, to gain from that? Because that's got to be a very delicate balance that you have to strike right. where, um, yeah. at, at what point is this an editorial relationship, professional right, relationship right, right. versus the other, or is there no line? Well, I, I learned to say yes to everything. That's <laughs> No, I'm joking. No, I mean, there were certainly moments of, I, I'm a very impatient person, which is, I mean, in, in literature, I feel one of the big lessons that it has given me, as opposed to like many emotional and intellectual and whatever lessons, is to be patient because literature takes time. It takes time to write books. It takes time to read books. It takes time to publish books. So it's given me patience a bit more than I have. But naturally, I'm an impatient person. So yeah, like, I don't know, at lunchtime, sometimes my wife wanted to tell me, oh, I have a question about the translation. So I was like, no, we're going to do a, an hour where we sit and we go over the questions because I can't have all these questions all the time. So it was, it, it was a funny, and my wife is the opposite. She's like the most patient, great person. I'm very, very impatient. So that's all my fault. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly been a learning experience of how to collaborate, how to mm. collaborate um, in an intellectual way, but she's, She's so precise, such a precise translation that I always say, and I'm not joking, I think the translation is better than the original because mm. she's such a good editor in her head. Like, I don't know, for example, the other day she was, we, she was translating something. She asked me like, I said, decorate a house. And she's like, furnish the house is a better word. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Mm. She went to buy furniture. Why did I say decorate the house when she furnished the house? So any things like that. And then I changed back in Spanish, right? But, uh -huh. Because she's a, a very accurate reader. So in that way, it's been, it's been really fulfilling to have someone that knows the work so well and that has the, allows herself to, to like tell me these things. And also this third book, for example, many of the spaces that the characters lived in are spaces that we lived in together. For example, an apartment of one of the characters was our apartment. So she knows it perfectly. Mm. So for me, it would be almost absurd if somebody else translated it because like mm. she knows the structure, the way the apartment looks, the light, she knows exactly what place in the city I'm talking about, what restaurant I'm talking about. So mm -hmm. she can picture it better in her head and I feel she can translate it better that way as well. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's just having built-in support from the get-go, yeah. especially with something where you are drawing from, from the settings and the places that you've lived in and you've seen, that's got to be such a, right. <laughs> such an asset. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. It, it is. And it's, and from the beginning, I mean, like always my first editor is, is her because I mean, she studied literature as well. She studied comparative literature at university of Toronto. She did a PhD, but she never really wanted to write. Like it's mm. not, it's not her thing, but she loves literature. Like she's always read tons of books. So it's been really great to have that feedback from the beginning. Like actually I, if the book doesn't go through her, I don't publish it. It's like she mm. reads the book first. She's like my censor. She reads the book first. <laughs> <laughs> and if it passes that step, then then I, so it, it's great to have a, a reader that that knows the work so well. I can tell you like, no, this is this doesn't work. I'm so sorry about it. But generally, oh, wow. she's really supportive. She's not very, she's not very critical at all. And sometimes I do feel that when you finish a manuscript, maybe you need more of that. Maybe you need more support at that 
initial part and then you can mm -hmm. go over the bad things and whatever but that support sure. is very important we're very vulnerable artists right in general mm -hmm. so that vulnerability acknowledging it i think it's very very important to take take care of it and have empathy towards other writers absolutely like that yeah so i imagine that you're generating pretty often uh for for work and potential new stories new novels and things right. like that how do you assess if a work or maybe an idea or or a bundle of ideas has the legs to become a novel is right. that something that you only learn by by writing the thing out or is that something that's more intellectual for you for me it is by writing the thing out like if i have an idea i go for it and i mean i have i guess like many writers i have many manuscripts that i left like 10 pages down there i was like you know what this doesn't work <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't work sometimes you have to like let yourself work before you say it doesn't work because like mm -hmm. some, sometimes you, you have a, a natural resistance to work right oh i lost you can you hear me I think you got muted. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, yep. I can hear you now. Okay. Okay, just backtrack a little bit to the beginning yeah, of that yeah. answer and we'll be good to go. <laughs> okay, yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, you're fine. Um, yeah, so I do feel you have to go through the writing itself, or I have to. I mean, I can speak about other writers to see if the idea works or not. Like, I do have to write the idea fully. And then I, I noticed quickly, I'm like, you know what? This is not gonna work. I'm not gonna devote these three years of my life. It's just, I'm not interested enough. Or it doesn't feel like you, it's, yeah, I do. And, and then when I'm writing, I, I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this does work. This is, mm -hmm. this is what I want to, and what works for me might not work for someone else. Like I, I've always said, like, I, I'm not, I don't write to please people. Like I don't care so much if other people don't like my books, like my, I, I write, the books that I would want to read. And to me, there's something funny that happens. I don't know if this happens to you, Jaime, but when I'm starting to get an idea for a book and I want to write a book and I feel like, yeah, this excites me, I want to read that book. Like mm -hmm. I, I literally sometimes go to the bookshelf and it's like, where is this book that I, <laughs> that I, I want to read? And it's like, it doesn't exist, so I have to write it. But it's, mm -hmm. it's just for me as a reader, right? And then yeah. you hope that, that people can, can, that you can share that with people ultimately, that someone will connect with a book and, and, it, and if they don't, it's fine. And I, I, I've learned to, to say that, like some books that I love reading, then I recommend them to friends and they're like, oh, that book was awful. Why do you like it? <laughs> oh, really? That was like a masterpiece. <laughs> anyway, so, so I feel literature, like books, books find the right reader at the right time. And I have this like mystical, kind of like mystical idea that a book will find you in the time you need that book. The best yeah. books are the books you need at that moment for whatever reason, aesthetics, Right. Whatever reason. That's yeah. that's beautiful because I do think and I <laughs> I was talking to a, a guest earlier today and we got into this kind of part of the podcast where we start talking about the woo-woo, you know, what people call the yeah. almost spiritual aspect of this whole thing. Right, you, the you, men yeah. you mentioned two things that uh that really strike me. The first one being that you almost have to manifest it before you write it and, and you right. have to visualize it and there's right. a book on the shelf that will right. that will come true. One day, maybe right. somewhere in the back of your mind, you're, you're telling yourself that. And then there's this other part of it of the, the book is on its way to a person and right. it will eventually find that right moment in that person's life that will allow it. And so I'm, I'm curious, just, this is a long way to kind of ask, do you feel that 
there is a spiritual fulfillment of some kind in your writing in that process, or is it more about the craft without right. that kind of spiritual connection, if you will? Connection. Um, yeah, I do feel, I mean, there's a, certainly a lot of craft and a lot of like, I mean, I certainly don't feel very spiritual on Monday mornings when I sit in my desk and I start writing. <laughs> so there's a lot of discipline for sure. There's a lot of craft. But I do think that literature has this otherness to it too. There has this kind of like this appeal, this attraction. I mean, I'm not a religious person at all. I don't believe in God. I'm a full atheist. Mm -hmm. So I'm like kind of always a bit, um, yeah, wary about like the woo was always said. I'm, I'm like that too. But I do feel there is this kind of like almost mystical element to literature mm -hmm. that it, it really illuminates. And I think this is what it is. I think it illuminates areas of your life that you weren't aware of or you hadn't really seen before. And I think that does bring, I don't know if a spiritual, but certainly like a, a almost transcendent experience mm -hmm. in the sense that it, it, it makes you grow as a person, literally in an empathic way. And in, I do feel like it shows you things that without literature, you would have no access to. And in that way, mm -hmm. there is a certain revelation, if you want to call it as such, which is a very biblical term <laughs> by being a non-religious <laughs> person. But I do feel yeah. like it does shed light. I think it's more that literature does shed a lot of light in things that we would not see otherwise. And I feel there is this sweet, there's an Italian writer I really like. He's called Giorgio Manganelli. He's dead now. He's been dead for a long time. But he defines literature as this sweet and rhythmic madness. And I oh. kind of like, I, I love that term. Yeah. I, I, and by madness, it means there's this irrational nature to it too. And I feel that is the attraction. So if we were to define spirituality like that, like in a connection to anotherness and that mm -hmm. being able to see inside someone else's mind and emotions and things, then yeah, then I would say there is an, a, a spiritual element in it. So there is at least an ecstatic yeah, that happens yeah. there. Not so much a spiritual one, but maybe something that does make you feel like you're less alone. And, exactly. And part of that, that collective experience. Yeah, so, it's a deep connection for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel that your time as a theater artist, I don't know how long you did it or, or how much work yeah. you did in that, but do you think that made its way into your writing in some shape or form? I know that, you know, I, I think you're kind of like me and that you're, you just want to be at home working on your thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. rather than, than being out and about and being uh, open and vocal. Um, right. How do you feel that that craft makes its way into your work now right. or it has in the past? Or has, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think in every way. I mean, I was really into theater. I think I was very, very much into theater. I loved it. I, it was yeah, it was a great experience. And I feel it formed me completely, as not only as an artist, but as a human being. I think I got my aesthetic ideas, like the, the type of work that I wanted to do that then, of course, is what I'm doing now with my writing. But I think I, I learned the aesthetics, the, the aesthetic idea of what I wanted to do, the aesthetic principles of the type of work that I wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. So it did form me in very deep ways. It formed me also, I feel it's interesting because like originally when I was younger, much younger, I wanted to be an actor, then a director. It's almost like I've been retrieving and like going back, <laughs> back, back yeah, yeah. until I became a completely introspective person. And I kind mm. of like blocked all of that. But to me, I see it as part of a journey. I don't see it as something different. It's been an artistic journey. I, I think I had to go through mm -hmm. that theater experience to end up writing. Right. So yeah. um, 
for for sure like my whole aesthetic world like the type of works that i like the type of of vibrancy that i wanted to do it all came from the theater for sure and my character analysis the way i would also like craft ways because like because i didn't write theater what i wanted to do was direct plays i had to analyze very deeply mm. how these things were formed and i feel that that of course influenced me then when i became a writer i wasn't like i don't need to take a workshop or whatever because i've already gone through this phase of how you structure things i just need to learn how to write them but like mm-hmm. i understand structures i understand dramatic structures like it's something that i i learned in theater as well yeah and like how working with people it's great but it's very difficult to achieve your full idea too and mm-hmm. i think that's something i love about writing that i a book can be good or bad, but it's exactly the way I wanted it to be. And in theater, you depend so much, which is its beauty too, but you depend so much on the collaborative effort uh-huh. that is like, no, that's not the type of play <laughs> that I wanted to do, right? So, yeah, so it, yeah. It's more out of your control. So sure, yeah. Sure. Well, that's that's an interesting path because yeah, you're right that um we have to distinguish what is really our want rather than what our environment tells us that we want. And it seems like maybe right. back in the day when you were younger that was all around you so maybe you you gravitated to that without acknowledging that it was you so it's almost like you had to clear out right. sort of that direction and go your own way that's that's so fascinating i just got a couple yeah. more questions for you yeah, know to be mindful of your sure. time but this has been amazing man uh you're so yeah, inspiring you. and um the degree of of intellectual in, intellectual quality that you have and and the just the your ability to oh, to really you. to really give us um a picture is is oh, has been you. super oh, inspiring to me to um i'm just i'm i'm really really emotional it's so great uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right now i i just want to ask you real quick a, a very light question what are some works of art or or literature that that you're into right now that are inspiring you or maybe right. uh just kind of lighting that fire again yeah yeah like i like i consume i'm a very big consumer of art i like all sorts of art i love museums i love paintings i love francis bacon is a painter i absolutely adore i love goya velasquez in madrid as i lived in madrid it was great because it was kind of like an open university because i could go to all these museums and see this fantastic work of art so i learned a lot like as a person it taught me a lot as a person and in books I'm, because my book is being translated into Italian, it's coming out this year, I've been learning Italian lately, so I've been really <laughs> into Italian literature, and it's just great. I love Natalia Gin's work. She's such a wonderful writer. I mean, there's many, many, many books, many Italian books that I that I absolutely love, but I like all sorts of works of art. Like, I don't know, books that have inspired me deeply. My, perhaps my favorite book of all times is by this Austrian writer called Robert Musil, called The Man Without Qualities, kind of like the big works of the 20th century. Mm. One of these books that I was telling you, Jaime, that I, it's for me, it's an absolute masterpiece. It's great. And I've recommended it. Many people find it boring, but I think I have a, <laughs> <laughs> I have a slower sense of, of time, I, I guess. But I, I love that book. I love The Sleepwalkers by Herman Broch. I love, there's this very unknown Italian writer, and I don't know why she's so unknown, that I absolutely love. Her book is called Verde Aqua, Verde Agua in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And she's Marisa Madieri is her name. And it's just an absolute wonderful, beautiful book. And she, I guess, I don't know why she wasn't so known because women had a harder time publishing and things back in the day. But um, she's an absolutely wonderful writer, an absolutely wonderful writer. So, yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of Hispanic literature. I love Pedro Paramo, Juan Rulfo. It's, it's one of my big, 
big works of art and a lot of contemporary authors too. Thomas Bernhard, I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like literature. I, I try to read everything. I'm not one of these people who are like, oh, I don't read things if they're dead or I don't read things if they're alive. <laughs> I'm not like that. I like li reading, leaving people, dead people, everything. Instructions of how to eat. I, I like reading in general. I can read everything. So, so yeah, I'm very open to that. But visual arts, I like movies a lot, mm -hmm. a lot too. Yeah, I like I like all sorts of art, and I'm I've been lucky enough to be exposed to many works of art in different matters, visual arts and things. Yeah, so yeah, so I yeah. like art a lot in general, and I consume a lot of it too. Yeah, oh, that's the way to be. Too. I, I watch a lot of soccer as well. But <laughs> who do you yeah. follow? I you got to get me on this tangent here. <laughs> in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. ¿Quién le vas? In Mexico, Pumas. 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 Okay, you're good. Pumas. You're good. Con que no le vayas a la América. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know. I have friends who go for America. I have really good friends and I'm, I just don't understand them. I don't get yeah. them. Too yeah. corporate, man. Too much. I know. I don't, I don't get it. Televisa. I don't get it. No, <laughs> go for Chivas. Like, apoya las Chivas. Yeah, I like Pumas because it's a university team. And like, that's right. I, I like. But I like Chivas too. I really like Chivas. I had a good friend Diego, and when I was a kid, and I used to go for Chivas when I was a kid. I'm, as you see, I'm not a very loyal soccer <laughs> follower. Like I watch a lot of it, but I can change teams all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like that. But I used to go for Chivas when my friend Diego was a big Chiva fan. Like he's a, a massive, yeah. like he goes to the stadium and like he came in Toronto and he lives in Ottawa now and he came to watch them when they played here in Toronto. Oh, wow. He's that big of a fan. So when we were kids, I used to go for Chivas because of, because That's of him. Amazing. But now I, I like Pumas too. Yeah. But I, yeah, I like well, soccer in general. You know, to make you feel better and to just let this off my chest, when I was a kid, I had a Pumas t-shirt, you know, <laughs> and I, that lasted like, you know, a month. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> That's but, funny. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, man. Um, lastly, I believe that um, maybe some folks aren't into resolution so much or intentions for the year, but yeah. because this is uh, my first weekend of doing interviews in 2023, uh, okay. I'm curious what your intentions or resolutions are for your craft. What are you looking to achieve right. for your craft this year? Right. So I'm writing now. So my third novel is, as I said, is going to be published in Spain. So that's kind of like more or less done. I have to work on the edits and things, but, but yeah, but that's a different type of work. But I am writing on this novel that I'm finding difficult to write. This It's my fourth novel. And it's kind of, it's, I wouldn't want to call it autobiographical because I don't really like the term, but it's, it's set in the 90s, 80s, 90s in Mexico City. Mm. And it's kind of exploring the things that we were talking about at the beginning. So I think one of my big, big resolutions is to find the peace, concentration, discipline of mind to be able to advance a lot in that book. I'm like 40 pages in it. Also, I'm already in, like I'm in the pool or in the sea better because it's going to take long. But I want to find, the, um, I want to write as much of that book as I can. I want to see if I can have at least by the end of a year, at least 100, maybe 150 pages of that book written because it's yeah it's it's a book that i've been wanting to write for a long time and it's i feel that my previous books have prepared me a bit craft wise mm. to be able to write this this book to find the angle and things so i want to advance in that book that's my big artistic resolution i want to advance in that book and in other resolutions just it's a, if america doesn't win then it's so fine <laughs> Well, I think that's a wonderful, exciting note to end on. Laudi, I want to thank you so much for thank taking you, the time Jaime. to do this. 
This has been such an inspiring conversation for me. I feel like anytime I see um, a Mexican artist, creative, intellectual human being going out and achieving in the way that you have to develop yourself and your craft in the way that you have is just nothing short of empowering and it makes my day. So I really want to thank you for your day. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing contributions that you're making, my friend. I hope that hopefully down the road we get to chat when uh, when your book comes out or anytime. You know, uh, sure, I'd, be, I'd be happy to catch fantastic. up. Fantastic! It was great. It was a lovely experience. Great way to to spend the day. It was fantastic to meet you. Oh, awesome! Well, I appreciate it too, and uh, I give you your Sunday back. I'm not sure what time it is over there, but it uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's noon, so it's perfect. Yeah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Earlier this morning, I was waking people up at like six in the morning, seven in the morning. So, <laughs> oh, thank man. you. <laughs> what time is it in Wyoming? What what time? What time is it in Wyoming? It is uh, almost ten o'clock here. Almost ten o'clock. Okay, so like yeah, yeah. So I'm okay. I'm good now. I'm awake. <laughs> well, you know. Really? More than anything, I hope you take care and you have a wonderful time and you mucho too. gusto, un, mucho un gran placer. And I look forward to, to getting to know your work as well. And speaking about your work, we spoke only about me, but I'm very interested in you as well. So. Oh, yeah. well, you know, I, I don't want to make it the Jaime hour. I want to make it the Laudi hour. Exactly. <laughs> Down the road. Thank you so much. Yeah, mucho gusto, cuídate mucho. Hasta luego, muchísimas gracias. Cuídate, adiós. Bye.